Chapter Nine of the Vicar of Wakefield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tyke Hines. The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith. Chapter Nine. Two ladies of great distinction introduced. Superior finery ever seems to confer superior breeding. Mr. Burchell had scarce taken leave, and Sophia consented to dance with the chaplain, when my little ones came running out to tell us that the squire was come with a crowd of company. Upon our return we found our landlord with a couple of under-gentlemen and two young ladies richly dressed, whom he introduced as women of very great distinction and fashion from the town. We happened not to have chairs enough for the whole company, but Mr. Thornhill immediately proposed that every gentleman should sit in a lady's lap. This I positively objected to, notwithstanding a look of disapprobation from my wife. Moses was therefore dispatched to borrow a couple of chairs, and as we were in want of ladies to make up a set at country dances, the two gentlemen went with him in quest of a couple of partners. Chairs and partners were soon provided. The gentlemen returned with my neighbour Flamborough's rosy daughters, flaunting with red topknots, but an unlucky circumstance was not adverted to, though the Miss Flamboroughs were reckoned the very best dancers in the parish, and understood the jig and the roundabout to perfection, yet they were totally unacquainted with country dances. This at first discomposed us. However, after a little shoving and dragging, they at last went merrily on. Our music consisted of two fiddles with a pipe and tabor. The moon shone bright. Mr. Thornhill and my eldest daughter led up the ball, to the great delight of the spectators, for the neighbours hearing what was going forward came flocking about us. My girl moved with so much grace and vivacity that my wife could not avoid discovering the pride of her heart by assuring me that though the little chit did it so cleverly, all the steps were stolen from herself. The ladies of the town strove hard to be equally easy, but without success. They swam, sprawled, languished, and frisked, but all would not do. The gazers indeed owned that it was fine, but neighbour Flamborough observed that Miss Livy's feet seemed as pat to the music as its echo. After the dance had continued for about an hour, the two ladies, who were apprehensive of catching cold, moved to break up the ball. One of them, I thought, expressed her sentiments on this occasion in a very coarse manner, when she observed that by the living jingo she was all of a muck of sweat. Upon our return to the house we found a very elegant cold supper, which Mr. Thornhill had ordered to be brought with him. The conversation at this time was more reserved than before. The two ladies threw my girls quite into the shade, for they would talk of nothing but high life, and high-lived company, and other fashionable topics, such as pictures, taste, Shakespeare, and musical glasses. It's true they once or twice mortified us by slipping out an oath, but that appeared to me as the surest symptom of their distinction, though I am since informed that swearing is perfectly unfashionable. Their finery, however, threw a veil over any grossness in their conversation. My daughter seemed to regard their superior accomplishments with envy, and what appeared amiss was ascribed to tip-top quality breeding. But the condescension of the ladies was still superior to their other accomplishments. One of them observed that had Miss Olivia seen a little more of the world, it would greatly improve her, to which the other added that a single winter in town would make her little Sophia quite another thing. My wife warmly assented to both, adding that there was nothing she more ardently wished than to give her girls a single winter's polishing. 
To this I could not help replying that their breeding was already superior to their fortune, and that greater refinement would only serve to make their poverty ridiculous, and give them a taste for pleasures they had no right to possess. "'And what pleasures,' cried Mr. Thornhill, "'do they not deserve to possess, who have so much in their power to bestow? As for my part,' continued he, "'my fortune is pretty large. Love, liberty, and pleasure are my maxims. But curse me, if a settlement of half my estate could give my charming Olivia pleasure, it should be hers, and the only favour I would ask in return would be to add myself to the benefit.' I was not such a stranger to the world as to be ignorant that this was the fashionable cant to disguise the insolence of the basest proposal, but I made an effort to suppress my resentment. "'Sir,' cried I, "'the family which you now condescend to favour with your company has been bred with as nice a sense of honour as you. Any attempts to injure that may be attended with very dangerous consequences.' "'Honour, sir, is our only possession at present, and of that last treasure we must be particularly careful.' I was soon sorry for the warmth with which I had spoken this, when the young gentleman, grasping my hand, swore he commended my spirit, though he disapproved my suspicions. "'As to your present hint,' continued he, "'I protest nothing was further from my heart than such a thought. No, by all that is tempting, the virtue that will stand a regular siege was never to my taste, for all my amours are carried by a coup de main.' The two ladies, who affected to be ignorant of the rest, seemed highly displeased with this last stroke of freedom, and began very discreet and serious dialogue upon virtue. In this my wife, the chaplain, and I soon joined, and the squire himself was at last brought to confess a sense of sorrow for his former excesses. We talked of the pleasures of temperance, and of the sunshine in the mind unpolluted with guilt. I was so well pleased that my little ones were kept up beyond the usual time to be edified by so much good conversation. Mr. Thornhill even went beyond me and demanded if I had any objection to giving prayers. I joyfully embraced the proposal, and in this manner the night was passed in a most comfortable way, till at last the company began to think of returning. The ladies seemed very unwilling to part with my daughters for whom they had conceived a particular affection, and joined in a request to have the pleasure of their company home. The squire seconded the proposal, and my wife added her entreaties. The girls too looked upon me as if they wished to go. In this perplexity I made two or three excuses, which my daughters as readily removed, so that at last I was obliged to give a peremptory refusal, for which we had nothing but sullen looks and short answers the whole day ensuing. End of chapter 9